today. Those of you who were in Sunday school class, Rob danced all over my message this morning, but that happens from time to time. Um, I guess if any of you that were in Sunday school want to go home, I guess you can. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, uh, but uh, I just want to speak on good works, and we're going to take our thought initially from Matthew, the fifth chapter. So if you want to turn there, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for your goodness. Ask you, Lord, to anoint the message this morning that all things would work to your glory and honor. It's all about you. It's all about souls. And, Father, we just want to be the messenger that you can use to get the word of God to those that need it. So, bless, we pray. Have your divine way in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we spoke on legalism Thursday night, and to be a preach a balanced gospel that's what the balances are for we want to preach it balanced of the word of God we want to remind you that uh, uh, you can't uh, get saved by good works we said that in the Thursday night service on legalism and to be balanced though um, even though legalism or good works can't save us good works can help us or God wants us to use good works in a right way. We know from the scripture, uh, grace is how we're saved through faith, not of works. Amen? So if we know that, that's a good start. We want to start from there. Um, but here we need to have the faith to take root in our hearts. And God takes out the stony heart of a man, scripture says, puts in a heart of flesh when he gets born again, and then from there on, he writes his commandments on our fleshly heart that he wants us to be uh, uh, responsible to him for keeping those commandments. Amen? If uh, you are then responsible to perform in a way that brings glory and praise to your heavenly Father for the fact that he has now called you, justified you, redeemed you, and saved you through Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, uh, if anyone, whether he wears a ties or not, tells you you must do anything to be saved other than be born again, don't listen to him for your salvation. Again, there is no work you can do that saves you. Amen? I'll make that clear because a lot of people have a list of do's and don'ts on their docket um, that they think is going to get them to heaven. That's not the way it works. Being born again uh, is the only requirement to salvation. And that's a spiritual work, not a physical work that you can do yourself or help someone else lead them to where they can have that spiritual work done in their lives. I just want to clear that up to help balance out what we taught Thursday night and help us today to understand how to have a balanced gospel. In Matthew, the, th the fifth chapter, starting in verse 13, I'm going to read, and it's basically what Rob read in Sunday school, but he read it out of Luke's gospel. And it says here, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out 
and to be trodden underfoot of men. So, what is salt good for? Okay. Now, we are the light, ye are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candlestick and put it under a bushel, but, uh, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So here we go. All right? We're talking about good works. Here he's talking about salt. Now, I don't know what, you're, what you think of salt, but all Jesus is doing here is taking a physical example and applying it to a spiritual application in your life. Amen? Whatever you use salt for, whatever, uh, probably it's the same now as it was in the first century when Jesus talked about salt. Salt in the first century is still salt in the 21st century. 2,000 years later, salt hasn't changed in its purpose. Amen? So here we have salt that he's talking about that's lost its savor. Well, savor just means its goodness or its worth or its value. All right? Whether it's you're sprinkling it on food, whether you're using it to preserve food, that's what they did. Um, whether you're using it for whatever reason you're using it for, if it's lost its saltiness, he said it ain't, ain't much more than gravel. All right? See the difference? Why? Because salt has to produce good works to be salt. Amen? So if it's lost its savor, you might as well just use it to pave your driveway or make gravel out of it. He said that's all it's good for is to walk on or to be trodden on. He used that term trodden. Or that means walk where you want to walk and use salt to line that path. Amen. And I've been uh, uh, told that I use too much salt. All right. It's bad for your heart. Too much salt's bad for your heart. You'll have a heart attack one of these days from too much salt. Well, if pastoring for 17 years hasn't killed me, I don't think salt has a chance. Amen. All right. Amen. But I, you know, we can have fun with it, but I understand it has a place my whole life. For some reason or other, if it gets up to 70 degrees, I am sweating. I, my hat yesterday, it was what, 15, 20 degrees yesterday morning, whatever it was, and then we went to Brother Rob's house. He had a tree he wanted to change into firewood, so we went over, and, and in two hours it was done. But when I took my hat off, my hat was soaking wet. My hair was standing straight up from sweating in 20 degree weather at that. I have always sweat like crazy. And actually, when I was an athlete playing sports, they used to give me salt tablets because I had a deficiency in salt. So I kind of developed a taste for it, and I still probably use too much yet today. But so far, I'm surviving. But that's what salt can do if you um, use it in a right manner. Then in verse 14, he says, you're the light of the world. 
That's pretty clear, isn't it? Amen? Again, he's using a physical example to explain a spiritual truth. It's, you're like a, a city on a hill. Amen. Now, anybody that knows as they're walking down the highway, even if it's at night, they can tell when they're getting closer to the city because the light's glowing off of it, and they can tell that that's what that is. Uh, up ahead of them is a city on a hill or a candle on a candlestick. Now, it don't do you much good to light a candle and then put a box over it. No, that won't do any good. But what you do, you set it up high in the room or on a candlestick or on a table. You do something to lift it up, and then it uh, does uh, lights up the entire room where you're at. Amen? A candle on a candlestick cannot hide. The darkness will not uh, make sure that it's uh, uh, not there. But you will notice a candle on a candlestick when you walk in a room. For some people... They like the attention. They think they're the candle in the room. Now, let me give you an example. Why do we call all the people in Hollywood that produce movies, and uh, we call them what? Stars. They're so bright, we call them stars. Amen. Well, they're, they're not all that uh, important, I guess. It, maybe it makes them feel important, and a, a lot of them, even in the Hollywood group, they like to get on television and give their opinion on something, show you how smart they are. Well, they would have been better off if they wanted to impress me just to be a star and go on about their business. Amen? Because you know how, how much you think of them as stars? You pay your money to go sit in an uncomfortable place, eat stale popcorn, and watch three or four hours of them act like somebody that they're not. And we call them stars. Oh, well. Oh, well. If you want to act like somebody and be a star, act like God. Amen? Verse 16 in the scripture there. Now, if you notice from verse 13 down to verse 17, that's one of them fill pots. You never, if you've got your Bible, you'll see it. It looks like a little P backwards kind of thing with a couple lines in it. That just denotes this is all one paragraph that Jesus is teaching here, or all one thought. He says in verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Amen? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen? Now, we don't have to argue over which heaven that is because God occupies all the heavens. Amen? Unlike Hollywood, the best way to reach stardom in this world is to act like your heavenly father spiritually and give him all the glory and praise for the good works that you do and what things you have accomplished because of his leading in your life. Look for a second with me in John, the Gospel of John. I'm going to just real quick look here. When Jesus came into the world, John 1, 4, and 5, said, In him is life, and he's speaking of Christ, and the life was the light of men. And light shined in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Now, what do you think comprehend means? 
we think of that as something we might understand, comprehend, I get the idea, I understand. Really, that's not a good uh, translated word there from the King James, if you would. But it, a lot of people in other translations, it says it's overpowered. That darkness cannot overpower light. I can uh, remember a time when Bonnie and I um, went to West Virginia, and I preached a weekend revival down in West Virginia, and it was a little town, I forget the name of it now, there's a little dot on the road, and they had six or seven people there. But uh, we stayed all weekend down there. They put us up in a trailer. They had a mobile home. We stayed there, and, and I preached a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then came back home. But uh, while I was waiting Saturday, we preached Friday night, and while I was waiting for the Saturday night service, we drove on down to Beckley. Yeah, that's a city that probably rings a bell if you know anything about West Virginia. And we took a tour of a coal mine. They put us on this little flat, looked like a train car, but just a little bitty thing. There's eight or ten of us on it, and the guy was driving this car, and went down into this hole in the side of a mountain, went down in there, and he said, I want to show you something. Is there anybody here that's claustrophobic? And nobody said nothing. So he reached over, and of course, all the way down through there, there's power lines and electric light bulbs ever so often down through the the mine shaft that we were going down into. So he reached over and flipped the switch. And all the lights went out. Now I'm talking, you talk about dark. I don't think I've ever experienced anything as dark as that was. I mean, you've heard you can't see your hand in front of your face. I practiced it. And I couldn't see my hand right there. I could feel it, but I couldn't see it. Amen. That's how dark it was. And he says, now in the old days when the miners would come in here, they had a hard hat on because, you know, rocks might be falling on their head or something. And on that hard hat, they had a little candle. It wasn't even a battery-operated light. It wasn't an LED where they could light up everything. Just a little candle. And he had a little flint thing he had, and he said, and what they would do, strike this flint and light that. And it was just a, it, man, it was just like a scotch candle. It lit up the whole coal mine. Just that little bitty candle. I thought, wow, that is great. And one of the guys on the cart said, uh, how much rock, now that we're all the way down here, how much rock's above our head? Oh, he said about 600 feet. He said, don't worry about it. Six inches will kill you. Oh, that was encouraging, wasn't it? But when you get down in there, boy, it's dark. And Jesus says it doesn't matter. Well, the darkness comprehends light when it's shining for the people. So Jesus here in this particular verse in John, the first chapter, he was the light of men. And although Jesus wanted to glorify his Father and draw all men unto him, he stood as a physical example of this spiritual truth of how a life of godliness, holiness, and righteousness can glorify his heavenly Father. How? Let your light so shine. Amen? The point there in verse 5 is that darkness cannot comprehend it. Or, uh, no matter how much darkness there is, the very smallest light will drive it away. Amen? If you don't know Jesus, he's telling us you're in total darkness no matter how you slice it. So you need to find... Christ as the light of your life is what he was teaching there in John the first chapter. You may say, well, I'm rich. I'm famous. I'm popular. Without Jesus, you're still in darkness. Amen. 
Amen. Is this, if this light, in this life, if you don't have a born-again experience with Christ, you're just marking time. You're just in total darkness. You're not making any kind of effort to influence anyone else. You'll be just doing what the Bible says is just spinning your wheels, I guess. Amen. In John, 1 John, the epistle of John 1, 7, says, but if the light... But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, we know how much all is, don't we? Amen? So if you read that and think that you have fellowship one with another as fellowship with other people, look again. This fellowship's with him. That's Christ. Amen. Of course, God is the one we need to have fellowship with, and that's in verse 5 to explain that to us because he uses the pronoun him there, but he's referring to God. So when we have fellowship one with another, that means you and God have fellowship. Isn't that cool? And the blood of Christ washes away the sins that we've committed and what we've done and gives us a start in life where God wants to take us. Amen. Turn with me to Titus, the second chapter. Verse 14. Who gave himself for us. Now, who gave himself for us? Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, the word peculiar there doesn't mean we're a bunch of oddballs. Amen. Sometimes we act like it. Sometimes we cut up. Sometimes we are a little bit off the path. But it doesn't mean that we're crazy and don't know what we're talking about here. The whole purpose of the coming of Christ into the world is to redeem us from all iniquity and purify ourselves. Then we become a peculiar people. You know what peculiar means? We're different. If you're not different after you get born again than you were before you were born again, Maybe you need to go back and rehearse exactly what took place when you, if you would, did the uh, born-again things. It's not that we're a bunch of oddballs or nuts or crazy people, but that we would stand out from the old crowd of darkness that we walked before we got saved. And we need to be, after that, zealous or fired up about good works. Amen? Zealous is something I preached on zealous one time. And it took me all day to preach it, to get everybody zealous around me, you know? We got to get fired up about it. Amen? So in, I enjoy doing good works for others. Amen? I do. I just have to tell you. And I don't do it just so I'll get a pat on the back or somebody will slide me some money or buy me a gift card or you know, whatever. I do it because I just enjoy being what God wants me to be. Amen? Usually... I just say, all right, see you later and head on down the road. No big deal. Amen. Now, I know there are people that, that on their behalf uh, want to give me something, a gift, uh, money, or whatever, but I just enjoy doing good things for other people. Amen. As I look around here, I think I've been in about everybody's house here and done something for you at your house and waved goodbye and went on about my business, you know. 
not bragging about that because it ain't about me. It's about God. It's about me being in the will of God. And I enjoy doing good works for others. I guess that's what makes me peculiar. Because <laughs> not everybody wants to give up their free time or come around and help and then walk away with nothing in their pocket. But the glory goes to my heavenly Father whenever I do something for somebody else. He has blessed me with so much, i got to share it with somebody or it'll go to waste. Amen? So we need to just understand how good God has been to us at this point. Peter amplifies this thought a little more in 1 Peter. Do -do -do -do. Second chapter of 1 Peter. Da -da. It's in here. I know it is. Put too many pages. First Peter two. We're getting there. Verses nine and ten, talking about peculiar people. He says, "But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people." that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in, a time, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which have attained mercy, but now have, but have, I'm sorry, I messed that up. People of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have attained mercy. The, the mercy you received changed you. Gives you a different outlook. When you get born again, there's more to it than just saying, well, I'm turning a new leaf, or I can roll up my sleeves now and go to a different direction down the road. There's more to it than that. And uh, he's trying to point out here, there's a lot of things about you that are different. You're a royal priesthood. Now, to the first century church, what did they think of the priesthood? Well, they were the ones they had to go to if they were going to do a sacrifice for God. And the temple for the Passover, for whatever they went to worship God, the priests are the ones that stepped forward and took care of what was taking place in the temple. But he says, nope, they won't need them anymore because you're a royal priesthood. Amen. There was a high priest, but now we're a royal priest, and that's even higher than a high priest. So when we think about how good God is to us as we do what we do for him, he wants us, if you would, to enjoy the things he gives us to share with other people. Turn back a few pages to James, the second chapter. James 2, verses 14 to 20. I don't know whether I'll read all that or nothing, but I guess I can. Starting in verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? What's the answer to that question? Can faith save you? You're saved by grace through faith, not of works. That's the point he's trying to make here. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and we talked about that with the fellow that, you know, the card here and the fellow we helped through Dennis. Amen. And we just say to that brother or sister, uh, have a nice day, see you later. We haven't helped him. Amen. We ain't done him any good. Amen. Brother uh, Jack White used to say, you see somebody naked and say, well, uh, have a nice day or hope things work out for you. 
No, you stop and give them a bologna sandwich. All right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help people in that situation. Verse 16, And, and one of you uh, say unto them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled notwithstanding. Ye give them not those things which they're needful of. What doth it profit? That's a question. What's the answer? Didn't profit nobody. Didn't profit them. Didn't profit God. Didn't profit you. Didn't profit nobody because you was just selfish and all you was looking at was yourself. Amen? So when you think about those things, we need to understand what is going on when we talk about those things. Amen? So in verse 14, he asks, can faith save you? In this context, James is saying no. Amen. He's saying that standing alone, faith cannot save you. Get that clear now. Faith is part of your salvation, but standing alone, faith cannot save you. And we need grace and we need the works that follow that faith and the grace that God has given us. Then we come on down. Verse 16 is another practical example of what works looks like. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a Gatorade. If he needs clothes, lend him yours. Amen. Now, we have to be careful in this in the 21st century, probably a lot more than we had to in the first century. And this Holy Spirit will help us in this area. But we got to make sure he knows that you're only giving him a bologna sandwich and a Gatorade and a clean shirt because of what God laid on your heart. You're not doing it because you think that's the right thing to do per se out of the flesh. You're doing it because of what God has done in your spirit to help him. So I also think we should look at why he needs this help. Amen? Amen? We're talking about uh, uh, biblically about the man that went from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves you know that story and the priest came by and he said ah, he'll be alright yeah and the Levite came by and he said ah it's not that bad but a Samaritan came by now they Jesus tells that story because Samaritans and the Jews were on two different levels in the first century they were not really uh, the best of friends. And so uh, we see that that guy needed help and the Samaritan helped him. That fulfills, if you would, what James is talking about here, about helping somebody in need. Now, if we're going to help somebody that their house got hit by a tornado or a hurricane or fire burned up everything they had, amen? then we should do our part, not only as individuals, but even as a church. We should step up and help people in those situations. We have a food pantry. Amen? Debbie runs it. She keeps it up to date, looking good. All the old stuff she gets rid of, puts fresh stuff in there. If you ever have a need, you're ever hungry, make sure you see Debbie. Amen? Now, how many of you knew we had that? All right, three of you did, good. All right, now y'all know, amen? So if you need food or something, amen, Debbie's who you're going to see in that regard. We have that in place. I like that idea, you know why? 
I carry a cell phone. If somebody calls the church and just wants a handout, I can tell them, I'm not paying your bills. We don't have anything in our budget to pay everybody's bills. But we do have a food pantry. I like the thought of telling them that. We are compassionate people, but we're not looking to help bums. We're not looking to help lazy people that won't get a job. We're not looking to bail everybody out. The government can't even bail everybody out. As much as they try with all their giveaways, they still come up short on trying to help everybody. And I'm not interested in helping the lazy and the selfish, but I am interested in helping those that have fallen on hard times or problems or situations. I've even reached in my own pocket and said, oh, you need gas money to get home? All right, let's drive up the gas station. We'll take care of that. Amen? You need something else? Well, we'll you hungry? Well, come on with me. We'll go down to McDonald's and get a meal. Amen? If they say, oh, I don't, I don't like McDonald's, well, they're not very hungry. Amen? I like to qualify who I'm going to help because I know there are those that even uh, what old brother White used to say, there are some people who would even break a bank. Amen. They'd want to hold their hand out long enough that the bank couldn't support them all. So we need to do our part and make sure we're doing the will of God when we do these things. So if you, somebody comes to you and says, oh, I'm having it so rough, I need help, I need this, that, or the other, say, well, I'm, I'm needing some time to think about it, pray about it, and I'll ask God for direction. Then you do what God lays on your heart. Amen. That's pretty simple. Or you can tell them, call the pastor. I'll tell them. Amen. But I'm not just going to hand out everything to everybody that comes along. Amen. And become welfare state for everybody in Mason. That's just not my, what we're up to. Amen. You know the old story? Somebody's hungry. You don't give him a fish. You teach him to fish. You give him a fish, he'll be back tomorrow wanting another one. You teach him to fish, he'll be on the bank the rest of his life. You can't do nothing with them fishermen. They're just always gone. Amen. But that's the, the old saying we had. So I'll drop down into verse 17 in this particular James, the second chapter. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Remember I told you faith alone is not going to save you. Here he's confirming faith here alone, without works, being alone, won't get the job done. In the side margin of my King James Bible, it says instead of being alone, it says faith by itself won't get the job done. Amen? And then verse 18, he said, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show thee my faith with my works. Works are what's going to explain how you got to the place where you are and why it's so important. So they, that tells us that good works are still important, especially if you want to keep, if you would, communication between you and God flowing the way it should be. And isn't it great that God loves good works? Read verse 19. Thou believest that there's one God. Man, that takes a lot of faith to believe there's only one God anymore. Especially in the first century, because they worship trees and clouds and the sun, and the moon and animals and and whatever they could 
shrines they could get from the silversmiths or whatever. They worshiped about anything. But James was telling them, huh, thou believest there's one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Amen. You got to get beyond just faith only or you're on the same plane as the devils. You believe just like they believe. Amen. So verse 20 again reiterates that faith without works is dead. Amen. So let's make sure we get the picture um, of what faith is or what it does. Drop down to the last verse in that chapter, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Amen. Do you know your body? Every one of you, trust me, you have a spirit. Amen. What happens when your spirit leaves your body? That's when you need six good friends to take care of you from there on. Amen? That's because you are dead if your body and spirit separate. Guess what? If your faith and your good works separate, what kind of faith do you have? You need some friends to prop it up, carry it away, and put it in a box. Faith without works, he says, is dead. Now, go back again to Titus. We were there earlier. It's not that far. Titus, the second chapter. If you want to read down 1 through 8, I'm not going to read all of that, but it tells how men should teach boys how to behave. And it tells women how to teach women how to be Christian or godly women, how to obey their husbands. You know where you should learn to cook from? Your mom. You know where you should learn hard work from? Your dad. Not necessarily for him taking a bull whip and driving you into the hard work, but you should follow his example. And as he works hard, you should follow him and work hard too. My dad taught me when I was just a little shaver of nothing. If you want anything in this world, you can have anything you want if you're willing to work hard enough for it. Huh? What do you think of that? Well, there's some things in this world I wanted, and I worked hard to get them. Amen. And so they turned out to be nothing, but that's okay too. But I did earn what I got, if you want to say it that way. Well, the Bible says that's a good way to learn, and for guys to teach their children or, and girls to teach their children, that's the way things should be. And in verse 7, he says, In all things, Showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness. And we can just go on. Gravity, sincerity, sound speech. And right on down the list he would go there. Um, verse 7 and 8 spells out what he means by good works as we see it in, in an individual's life. But where did it come from? Where should you get the training of what good works is? from your parents, from a mentor, from somebody that wants to see you grow up and be the person God would have you to be. Amen? So, and in doing so, uh, there he says at the end of verse 8, and having no evil thing to say of you. You know, your good works 
speak louder about you than what anybody else can make up and say about you. Amen. I've had people come to me, true story, and I could probably give you 10 of them if you wanted them, and say, you know what I heard about you? Hmm. I said, well, do you believe it? He said, no, I've watched your life. I know better than that. I don't know where he came up with that idea, but that, that don't even sound like the dude I know. Amen. There's only one dude, and he don't act nothing like that. So how do you do? Your good works should offset anything that anybody has to say bad about you. Amen? And if you'd go on down and read, if you would, the rest of, of this uh, particular uh thought in here. He's given you an outline of what good works should do. Turn with me over to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Starting in verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Faith's important. Hold fast to it. How should we hold fast to it? Without wavering. You know what that means? Don't doubt it. Amen. Whatever the faith and God has taught you, don't doubt it. Amen. For he is faithful that promise. That means God gave you that faith. Trust in him to fulfill that faith in your life. That's what Philippians 1 and 6 says. He that began a good work in you will see to it that it's finished in your life. Verse 24 there in, in Hebrews 10. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and the good works. Ah, isn't that something? When you're around someone else, you know what? You should be encouraging to them that they produce good works out of love. Amen. Love is the key to all of it if you want to say that. But if you're going to produce good works, I'm not going to convince you to do good works if I do it with a bullwhip. But if I love you into doing good works for God, then it's going to matter to you. Amen. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. So we need to make sure as people of God, we come together. It should be important for us to have services. It should be important to us because we get to, if you would, provoke one another to good works. Amen. Amen. I can't provoke you to good works if I don't see you. Amen. I can call you on the phone, I guess, and, and say, would you please, you know, I don't know whether I'd do any good or not. But the whole point of this is he gets to the next chapter, and that's the chapter on faith. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's the definition, biblically, of what faith is. But faith without works wouldn't even be faith. You wouldn't have anything to hope for if your faith was dead. We need faith in action. As a matter of fact, um, the whole chapter, chapter 11, is by faith, this one did that. By faith, he did this. By faith, she did that. Whole chapter of them in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Amen? We call it the faith chapter. We see many people named out for their faith and their works are spelled out that they did. And it ends up in verse 39 and 40. And all these, or these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, 
God having provided some better thing for us, that they uh, without us should not be made perfect. So when we're thinking about the situation that God's talking about here, those people by faith, what they did, how would you like to have your name listed in verse 41? What's going to happen someday? Amen. Now, it won't be in the Bible, and it won't be on this side of eternity, but one of these days, we're going to get to hear, well done, thou good and faithful service. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And your name's going to be written down. It's called the book of life. Amen. And he's going to call your name out, and he's going to tell everybody he can what kind of person you was. Wouldn't that be embarrassing? Amen. I've heard preachers preach that. Would you want your whole life splattered on the wall for everybody to see? Well, that's not going to happen. God's not going to allow that to happen. But if you did good works, they're going to know about it. You know how they're going to know about it? Because those good works are going to be following someone else that's coming up behind us, and they're going to say when they get to heaven, man, I'm glad to see you. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. Amen. Probably all of us in our minds have somebody that we think, man, if it hadn't for him leading me or her leading me into the way I should go for the Lord, I probably wouldn't make it to heaven either. Amen. I've heard people say, I was on my way out the church door and promised myself I'd never come back. And brother grabbed me by the collar and said, I love you. Huh? It happens all the time. Amen. Or you was down and out. You needed a baloney sandwich and a Gatorade and a clean shirt. And somebody came along and gave you what you needed. That's the way it works. When you get to heaven, you'll get to thank them. Amen. Isn't there a Christmas song about that? What was the one? Well, not that. I was thinking there was a Christmas one about the red shoes or something. Well, maybe we should live by faith with God's works so that heaven one day will reveal to us all the things that we should have done in the things that we do for God. We don't know what God's requiring of us. Amen. But it's all in the next chapter. Verse chapter 12, he says, See that we're accomplished about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What are those witnesses? Those are the faithful ones that trod the way before us. Amen. I'm not a pioneer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm, we're 2,000 years too late to be the ones that say we just tread the way for everybody else. No. 2,000 years of people have tread the way so that we would know the truth of the gospel. Amen. You know how many times in the last 2,000 years heathens have tried to destroy the Bible? Tried to just get rid of it. So we would have, if you would, no record of what God has done. But God preserved his word, and through his Holy Spirit, his two witnesses, those two can guide us to where we should be. You see, good works is a testimony of your faith. You can say you got faith, but if there's no works to show it, it's probably hard for someone to see it. People may not hear what God is saying to you, but they can't deny what God is doing in your life. It's just a small portion 
of what the Bible has to say about good works this morning that I brought. We could probably go on for several more Sundays and talk about good works. I notice in my uh, concordance and in some of the Bible study side notes and different things, good works pops up multiple times and we could go in several different avenues but remember good works can't save you but they reveal your salvation to everyone that's around you amen good works to your soul is just as necessary as food and water to your body amen well I know what you're going to say well brother dude where can I start to get my good works? Well, you're asking the wrong guy. Amen. I can't tell you what to do that's a good work for God. You have to ask him. Amen. You have to ask God. If I gave you a list of good works to do, you'd probably end up in legalism somewhere. But if you'd go to God and say, God, I want to reflect your glory in my life to my neighbors and to my friends and to my co-workers where we can get some things done, God will show you. Amen? I'm sure he can guide you to where you need to be in the kingdom of God better than I can. Amen? Now, I can tell you some things that probably wouldn't would hurt you if you did them, and I really wouldn't want to do that again. We'd be going down the path of legalism. And I don't want to go down that path. We already talked about that Thursday. What I want God to do is talk to your heart. We know that your faith, and, and he knows how much faith you have and what he can do with that faith and how your works will match that faith. So all I can say to you this morning, make sure you're born again. Submit to the two witnesses, and God will direct your life in the good works that bring glory to God. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.